We are continuing our, our study in the Gospel of John, and we are in John chapter 13 as we continue our, our time in this, in this book. There's, within our, our, our church and the, the heart of, of what takes place here at the church is to bring us, us to a place of, of knowing Christ, knowing God, to know our, our Savior and to have just such incredible clarity in the gospel. To, to look at his word and to just see him in the pages of scripture because we know that as we just study him and learn about him and grow in our, our knowledge of the king of this universe, that we will fall in love with him. When you see him, you fall in love with him. You learn to treasure him. And you see him and you begin to treasure him more and more. The more we learn about him, the more we treasure him. The more we see him. The more we find ourselves just longing to spend time with him. Longing to serve him. Longing to have hearts that are like his heart. We, we, we learn about God. We see him in the pages of scripture. And it's, it's being able to see him in his brilliance and in his majesty enables us to be fueled towards, towards worshiping him with all that is within us. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth, longing to spend time in his word, desiring to go to places like Compton or go to places like El Salvador or go to places like Haiti or go to places like, like Utah or Colorado City or... Romania or Uganda or Kenya or wherever it is that the Lord calls us to go in missions. It enables us to, to, to be fueled towards godly living as, as husbands or wives or as kids or as friends or as brothers and sisters in Christ here. The fuel of all that we do is, is and ought to be worship because we love him so much we desire just to please him and to honor him, and to give ourselves entirely to him. And as I studied this particular section of John chapter 13, um, I found myself over and over again just falling more in love with our Savior. And I pray that is the case for you this morning as well. Let's read the text before us. John chapter 13, beginning of verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles under the pews so that you can follow along with us. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter 
And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you. If you do them. The timing of of this particular event comes at the very final hours in the life of Christ. He's there for this particular supper, this particular Passover, and he's at that hour in which he knows that he is going to depart from this world and go to the Father. He's about ready to go to his death. He knows the, detail of his, uh, the details of his death. He knows what's going to take place. He's prophesied of it before throughout his ministry as well as throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. He knows that the hour has come. He knows the reason why he's here. He knows that he's going to take our sin upon himself as he hangs there on the cross and that he's going to take the wrath that we deserved upon himself so that he can make for himself us as people and redeem us for all eternity with him. And so it's the last hours of his life. It's just radical to think about when you think, what what would we be doing? What would we be thinking if we knew that by this time tomorrow, um, we would have already been put to death? it's, it's, It's that time. The time is at hand. I love how the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle John to, to say that Jesus should, quote, should depart from this world to the Father. You notice that, that the Holy Spirit, it's not just in this particular location, but in several other locations. When Jesus refers to where it is that he is going, he refers to, I am going to the Father. One of the reasons why I find this to be just just incredible to think about the way that the Lord talks about the Father is he's looking forward not to leaving this world and the pain and having no place to lay his head and the anguish that he's gone through and, 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 and being tempted in all things yet without sin. He's not looking forward to going to where there's streets of gold and where there's simply joy forevermore and there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow and none of those things. Although I'm sure he is looking forward to that what it emphasizes is he's going to the Father. What he wants more than anything is to be with his Father. 
When you think about the God of this universe, to be able to look and think, okay, there's going to be a day where I'm not going to experience pain anymore. There's going to be a day when there's no more sorrow. There's going to be a day when there's no more loneliness. There's going to be a day when there's no more sin. There's no more battling with sin. There's no more struggling with sin. There's no more of any of that. But to look in in that day, I, I get to go to the Father. I get to go to my Savior. I get to see Him. I pray that, that our affections for Christ, our affections for our, for our Lord are so great that when we think of leaving this present world, the enthusiasm is, I get to be with him. I get to see him in his glory. I get to hear him rejoice over me with singing, a God who sings. I get to be like those who bow down before him and sing praises unto him, sing songs unto him, and and say that he is the one that has redeemed us. He is the one that has paid the price for us. I get to be with him. So when Jesus is there in the final hours of his life, he's looking to depart from this world to go to the Father. That's what he longed for. From there, it tells us, having loved his own who were in the world. Having loved his own who were in the world. What a blessed thing to be called. When this is being written, when John is writing this, when he is penning this, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he writes these things, Every single word, every single jot, every single tittle, every part of it matters. And it's the inspired word of God. And to think that these words are being spoken through the Holy Spirit to us, that Jesus is going to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own. Having loved his own. We belong to him. We belong to him. He loves us, his own. We belong to him. He's purchased us with a great price, paying a great price for us. His own, it refers to all that the Father has given him, as we see in Scripture. They are his sheep. They are his bride. He's called them to himself, and he's made them his own special people. We're his own disciples. We're his own Friends, we're his own brethren. We are members of his own body. We are called by his own name. We belong to him. We are his own, having loved his own. Just a radical thing to think about. We're no longer foreigners. We're no longer strangers. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ to where when God is talking about us, it's in having loved his own, having loved those that belong to him. You're loved by him. I am loved by him. I belong to him, and you belong to him. We're his own. He loved his own. He loved them when they were fishermen or when they were tax collectors. And he loved them in the same way as he loves you when he called you. He loved them when they were sinners. He loved them when their hearts were hard. He loved them when they loved darkness rather than the light. He loved them when they were slow to listen. He loved them when they were prone to wander. He loved his own. And it tells us he loved them to the end. It's also translated 
that he now showed them the full extent of his love. Christ loved them to the end of his time here on earth. He loved them until they breathed their their last breath here on earth. Not only to the Lord's end, as far as when he went to the cross, but he loved them until they breathed their last. And he keeps them until the end. He loved them through every failure. When the disciples forsook him and they departed, when Peter denied Christ three times, when Thomas doubted, he loved them to the end. It's a radical thing for us to think about when you think of the God that says, and having loved his own, he loved them till the end. I love that because there's times where I'm incredibly unlovable. There's times when you are incredibly unlovable. There's times where you fail and there's times where you sin and there's times where you sin heinously and I sin heinously. There's times where we're so unthankful and there's times where we wander so far from him and yet we have a savior, we have a God who loves us to the end. Doesn't ever stop. You don't see it where I loved you, Peter, but then you denied me three times. I loved you, Thomas, but then you doubted. I loved you guys, but then where were you? You all forsook me. You all left. When I went to the cross, you all departed from me. Now it tells us here as he's there in the last few hours with his disciples. John just says, he loved us to the end. He loved us no matter what. Just as he loves each and every one of us. He loved them when the heavens and earth will pass away. And he'll love us throughout all eternity to the end. Just as he loves each one of us through every failure until our final breath and for all eternity. He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. What a radical contrast we see here. And we go from this place of having loved his own, he loved them to the end, to supper ends, and the devil has already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He's loving on his disciples. And yet there's one that's sitting amongst them that is just thinking, this isn't going the way that I plan. I'm betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. I want 30 pieces of silver. And in, in, in getting that, I've already devised a plan to make it so that, that I get to, to collect on that and betray my Savior. And he is just loving on them. He had so much hate in his heart that he'd betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And the detail that that Judas's evil heart had even been further influenced by the devil himself, the devil working in the heart of the traitor. The devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, and yet we find Judas fully responsible for all that took place. There's times where, just watching the news, you'll see things where you'll see within people such wickedness, such utter depravity, that it seems to be another case of the devil influencing people's hearts to where you look and you're like, just incredible wickedness. They're still fully responsible. But you look at some people sometimes, you think, how did you get to that point? 
How can you do something just so incredibly wicked? They're just tools in the hands of, of Satan as he influences their heart. But their hearts are already so wicked. Judas's heart was wicked. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, and we're going to see in a moment what he's about ready to do. But notice what's taking place here. Jesus, he knows that the Father has given all things into his hands. Jesus is there, and he's about ready to go to his death, but he knows that the Father has given all things into his hands. He knows who he is. He knows that he is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He knows that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He knows that he is the one that has spoken all things into existence. He knows that he's the one into whom all glory belongs. He knows he's the sovereign God of this universe. And he knows his place there at the very right hand of the Father. He knows that he has come from God, that he is eternal. And he knows that he is going to God. He knows that he's about ready to go and to die on the cross for our sins, to be there in the tomb for three days, and then he's going to rise again and he's going to appear before the disciples and he's going to appear before all the others who will come to know him. But then he is going to ascend and be there with the Father at the right hand of the Father and he knows it's about ready to take place. He knows that the final hours are there. So what does he do? tells us he rose from supper and he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he girded himself. He rises from supper and he lays aside his garments. He takes his robe off. and He puts a towel around him. He girds his waist with a towel. This is familiar to most everybody here. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Remember that in the last chapter, it talked about how, in verse 41, it says, These things Isaiah said when he saw the glory and spoke of him. Um, last week, we looked at those verses. There's verses that are in that section that come directly from Isaiah chapter 6. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, when it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. There's this robe that's just filling the temple with glory. And, and here, the Holy Spirit inspires John to say, that, that those things that Isaiah was saying, the, the Lord high and lifted up and his robe filling the temple with glory, just majesty with his robe filling this temple. He, when, he, when he said those things, when he wrote those things, he saw the glory of Christ and he was speaking of Christ. So you, you picture the one that, that is... The one who has always existed and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And now you see him humbling himself and becoming a man and becoming the least of all men. And now you see him in the final hours of his life. And what does he do? He takes even his earthly robe where there's not much to it and he just lays it aside. Radical. Takes his earthly robe and just lays it aside and puts a towel around his waist. And he just gets down on his knees with a water basin there. Most incredible display of humility and service. It says, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is there and he's got this towel around his waist, water that he's pouring into the basin, and he just starts washing the disciples' feet. Extra biblical writings tell us that, that a Hebrew slave could not be forced to wash somebody's feet. I mean, you could force a Gentile slave to wash somebody's feet, but you could never force a Hebrew slave to wash somebody's feet. It was against the law. Something that was just so beneath even a Hebrew slave, they couldn't do it. So imagine Jesus there. Sees the disciples coming in. Why is he, why is he taking off his robe? Why is he putting the towel around his waist? What's he doing with the water? With the basin? He's on his knees. He's coming to us. He's taking off our shoes. But that is the God of this universe. I mean, when you picture God and you see him and you, 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 you picture maybe with his robe and the train of his robe filling the temple with glory and you picture him there on a throne as John describes in Revelation and there's a rainbow around the throne and lightning and thundering that's coming from the throne and his voice is like the sound of many waters and you just think of the power of him who speaks things into existence, who creates all things and yet we see him just loving on these disciples in the final hours of his life and just taking off his robe, coming down and saying, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I'm gonna wash your feet. I mean, notice that, that when we looked at the, the text earlier, it, it's telling us that when Jesus knew that the hour of his, that, that, that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. At that time, this is what he's about ready to do. He knows that this is the final time in his life. This, he knows that these are his last hours. And so what does he do? He just gets down on his knees. He's teaching them in a way in which um, words would have an incredible impact on all of these men as we find throughout the upper room discourse. But his actions, I mean, it, it impacted them. He gets on his knees and starts washing their feet. Think of this. Those hands are there and they're washing. They're washing the disciples' feet so gently. In less than 24 hours, they're going to be nailed with stakes into the cross. Here he is with his hands in just the final hours of his life. Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash your feet. It was so absurd to Simon Peter that he says in verse 6, Lord, are you washing my feet? You're not going to wash my feet. You're not gonna, are you kidding you're the one who makes blind people able to see. I've watched you make lame people able to walk. I've watched you cause people to rise from the dead. You, you're up on the mountain and you shine with brilliance. You walk on water. You, you turn water into wine. You multiply fish and loaves. 
You've always done those things that are perfect. You are our Lord. Are you going to wash? Are you going to wash my feet? You're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. What, what I'm about ready to do, you don't understand right now, Peter. But you will get it. You'll, you'll understand after this. You'll understand later what it is that I'm doing to you. And Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. Never. In all eternity, you'll, you'll never, never, ever wash my feet. You're not washing my feet. You can wash these other guys' feet. I can't believe they're letting you do it, but not mine. I should be the one washing your feet. I'm not, you're not going you're, you're to do that, Lord. Now, you, we look at this and you, you, you see Peter where you think, well, there's some humility that's there, Right? I mean, Peter's in like, no, 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 that's beneath you. You're not, you're not washing my feet. You're, you're the Lord. And yet, at the same time, there's just incredible disobedience. I mean, if the God of the universe calls you to do anything, you are to let him. I mean, Peter's there saying, you're not going to wash that. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. But Jesus is there thinking, you have no idea about what I'm ready to do for you. I'm, a, I'm washing your feet right now so that your feet can be made clean. But I'm about ready to go to the cross and to take all of your sin upon myself. I mean, I, I picture this. I, I, I could, if, if, if Peter would have listened better, as Jesus had been prophesying of him going to the cross... I mean, you see him where he takes out a sword and chops off Malchus's ear. You see him saying, like, no, you'll, you'll, you'll never do that. But there's incredible irony that he's saying, I will never let you wash my feet. Where if, if Peter fully understood that his Lord was about to go and to be whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times, his face punched over and over again with a bag over his face saying, prophesy, where's this hit coming from? His face spit upon, his beard plucked out. That he was going to carry his cross as victory. He's been falsely accused and convicted and taken up to Calvary. And he's going to be nailed there and he's going to hang there. And they're going to stare at him and his mouth is going to be dry. They're going to rip his clothing from him. They're going to cast lots for them. They're going to mock him and say he saved others, but he can't save himself. If, if Peter understood that, that Jesus was about to go and to become sin for him, how much more would he be in a place of don't know? I mean, imagine if it was you. He is your best friend. He is someone that you have been with. And you're imagining him going to die the worst death he could ever possibly die for you. Because of you. Because of your sin. I think Peter's response might have been like, never, never. You can't become sin for me. Well, Jesus knows that. And he's saying, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will know after this. 
Did Peter know after what took place? Absolutely. I mean, you see Peter in, in his epistle in 1 Peter 1.18 where he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tra- the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I mean, he later writes like, Brothers, you were not redeemed with perishable things. It was, it was the precious blood of Christ. You weren't redeemed with money. You weren't redeemed because he paid a great price of just stuff. It was the precious blood of Christ. He was the lamb without blemish and without spot. He had never sinned and yet he became sin for us. It's the precious blood of Christ that has purchased us. He writes that later because he understood. Jesus saying, you don't get it now, Peter, but you will. You will. You'll know after this. Well, Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So what does Peter respond with? Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus is there. And he's going to wash their feet so that they can have a part with him. That goes for you and I as well. to, To think that he could say, you will have no part with me. If I don't do this, you have no part with me. And then to come to the other side of, but we do have a part with him. We do belong to him. We have been made his own. We have been cleansed. We have been washed. We have been made as white as snow. Our sins have been hurled into the depths of the sea, and he doesn't remember them anymore. They're gone. We've been clothed with robes of righteousness. We've been made his bride. We've been made his people. We've been made his brethren. We belong to him for all eternity. He's a God who washes us. Simon Peter says to him once again, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus says to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You and you are clean, but not all of you. When you take a bath and you go to those, those Roman baths, if you go to England, there's a place called, it looks like bath, but you're supposed to say both. And you go there and you see it. There's these Roman baths where the people would go and take baths. And so you'd go and you would take a bath and you would then put your clothes on and you'd have your saddles and there is no paved street. So you're going to walk along the dirt road and you're going to go to someone's house. And Jesus is saying, you've already taken a bath. You've already been clean. But now your feet need to be clean. You've already been made clean. Your sin has already, as we're going to find through the blood of Christ, has removed completely from him and yet he is so sweet to come and to wash our feet that there might be this constant communion and fellowship with him being made clean so when he had washed their feet taken his garments and sat down again he said to them do you know what I've done to you he washes their feet. He takes the end of his, 
his garment and he wipes them dry. He sits down. They're all there. They've seen this. They've heard him. Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. You call me teacher and Lord, and that's the right thing to say. I am Lord. I am your teacher. I am God. I am the Messiah. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Do you know what I did to you? I've given you an example. Now you go and wash each other's feet. There's many different things that we should look at in, in reference to that. But in the brief time that we have, I, I want to just focus on a couple things. One is there should be just great humility with us. I mean, if our Lord is going to wash, get down on his knees and wash our feet, how much more should we be in a place of serving one another? I mean, if the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who, who you, you can't even look at him and live in the Old Testament. If he's the one that takes off his robe and goes and he gets down on his knees and washes the disciples' feet, how much more should we be in a place of just complete humility serving one another? Serving one another. But likewise, if he is going to forgive sin, if he's going to be in a place of, you've already been bathed, but I'm now going to wash your feet. You've already been made clean, but now I'm going to come and I'm going to clean your feet because those are now dirty. If he's going to, on a regular basis, be in there keeping fellowship with us and restoring fellowship with us and washing feet, and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If he's going to get down and do that for us, how much more should we be so quick to forgive one another? Being ready just to say, no, you've been made clean. I know that there's dirt on your feet because you are a sinner and you continue to sin. And just like I am a sinner and I continue to sin, we're all through faith in Christ been made clean and washed, totally pure. And yet there's still sin in our life. And yet he forgives us over and over and over and over again. 70 times 7, he forgives us. How much more? Should we follow his example and wash each other's feet? Be quick to say, no, you're good. You're clean. You're okay. We're good. You're forgiven. Fellowship is restored. My Savior washed feet. Servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. I'm not greater than Christ. You're not greater than Christ. Therefore, wash each other's feet. Be at a place where we're clothed with humility and we serve one another and we love one another. We forgive one another. Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed or oh, how happy are you if you do them. If you do them. He knows that it's possible for us to be at a place like, yeah, we know the Bible. I grew up with the Bible. 
I mean, I, I looked up pictures just of Jesus washing disciples' feet, how it's been portrayed throughout history by different artists. And when I looked at the pictures, I just thought, like, oh, I remember seeing that in Sunday school, and I saw that one in Sunday school, and I saw that one in Sunday school. <coughs> pictures I hadn't seen for many, many decades, and it was just like, oh, I remember that. Stories that we've heard, and we know, it. yeah, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. But it's one thing to know it, and it's another thing to do it. It's so easy for us to think much of ourselves, and it's so easy to think of certain things as beneath us. I'm more gifted than to do that. I'm not going to serve him that way. I mean, I should be doing this, or I should be doing that, or no one even appreciates all that I do. And Jesus would say, is, is a servant, is he greater than his master? I mean, if Jesus was willing to go down and wash feet, God help me too, and God help you too. God help us to serve one another and be quick to forgive one another. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray, I pray that us as a church would be disciples that hear these things and do them. You know that these disciples are the same ones with just either a little bit before or a little bit after. They're the ones that are, who's going to be the greatest? Tell us, Lord, who's going to be the greatest out of all of us? Who's going to be the greatest? We're so prone to think that way. I want a position. I want to be great. I want to be the greatest. And Jesus is there just so gently, so lovingly washing their feet and saying, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now do them. Serve one another like that. If we are a church that serves one another, where we're humble, joyfully serving one another, joyfully forgiving one another, joyfully ministering to one another and caring for one another and stirring up the gifts that each one of us have, being a blessing to one another. What a, what, what a blessed people we will be, both as we serve and as we are served. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this particular text of Scripture. We thank you for the example that you have given to us. The king of the universe, the only wise one, the one in whom belongs all glory and all honor, taking off his robe, girding his waist with a towel, getting on his knees, pouring water into a basin and washing feet. Lord, you cannot be improved upon. I pray that we would see you as a God who in the last hours of his life here on earth served in that kind of way and it would call us towards just holy affections towards you. May we not see something like that and not fall more in love with you this morning. You didn't come to be served, but to serve. You served us. You served the disciples by washing their feet and you served us by becoming sin for us. That whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not yet know you as their Savior, 
May they not be a part of those where you say they have no part with you. May today be the day of salvation for them. May today be the day that they believe. May today be the day that they place their hope in you. Ask for forgiveness of sin and be washed in their entirety, Lord, through the blood of Christ. May today be that day. Whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. What an incredible thing it is to be called your own, to belong to you, to be made your bride. Lord God, we pray that there would not be one person that leaves this place this morning without being washed of their sins through faith in the work of Christ upon the cross. And for us as your people who have just seen you girded around the waist and washing feet, may we worship you now with all that is within us. May we treasure you and may it just fuel us to do all that you have called us to do joyfully. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.